Welcome to Divorce Happy Hour, your source for everything you need to know about divorce in New Jersey and beyond. Your co-hosts are John Knocklinger and Christina Previtt, the co-owners of New Jersey Divorce Solutions Previtt Knocklinger, a divorce and family law firm located in central New Jersey. And without further ado, let's get to work. Hi, everybody. I'm Christina Previtt, the CEO of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a law firm located in Edison, New Jersey, practicing exclusively divorce and family law. And joining me today is Raj Saada. He is an attorney in Somerville with a varied practice. But one of the things he does is landlord-tenant law. And I will actually let you share, Raj, what other practice areas you have. Sure, sure. Thank you very much, Christina. Thank you for having me on. I also, like Christina, do family law. We also do residential real estate transactional work, commercial real estate transactional work. We do foreclosure prevention, including, uh, and all of that real estate work includes landlord-tenant work, mostly for landlords, sometimes as well for tenants. Okay, so thank you. And the topic today is really relating to landlords when it comes to landlord tenant issues, because as we all know, right now, because of the COVID situation, um, it's not exactly business as usual. So for the landlords that we have out there, what are some things that they can do if they're having difficulty collecting rents? Sure. So normally you would have the as a landlord would have the right to evict, and you still have the right to file an eviction lawsuit. The problem is given the COVID situation in New Jersey, the governor issued what's called an executive order. It's an order uh, in an emergency situation uh, and it's executive order 106. It basically said that even though evictions can start, even though evictions can continue, the actual lockouts themselves cannot take place. So you may have a tenant who is not paying and you would, if you file for an eviction in a normal, non-emergency, non-COVID situation, they'd be out of the house in all likelihood by three weeks, maybe four with, with the current state of emergency that has been extended. And it's, it's I think until sometime this month. That's so, pretty quick. I always thought that it took longer. I always thought that it took forever to get a residential tenant out. So from the time that you begin an eviction proceeding, how long does it normally take? Only about three weeks? It normally, it, it, the fast, normal, appropriate period is about three weeks. So you get, get about two weeks after they're served, after the tenant is served with the, divorce, with the uh, papers, with the eviction papers, it says the court date. If the tenant shows up at the court date or not, it hope, in all likelihood, there's going to be an eviction. And if there is an eviction, usually eight, calendar days minimum uh, thereafter the lockout will take place so that's eight days plus the original two it's two weeks it's about three weeks okay um, so, so i just learned something okay so now you 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 might win whatever that means you win the eviction but the person will not actually be i don't know what the lingo is removed from the property right. until right. when so that's the rub, right? So in the executive order 106, there is a carve out language that says if there is a hardship, if there's if some kind of circumstances in the interest of justice that says that where a judge says, uh, I'm going to remove this person, notwithstanding the executive order, a judge can do that. What are those circumstances? I mean, obviously, they're not 
uh, black and white. They're not something set in stone. There's no list of them. But maybe if the, the landlord needs the rent in order to prevent a foreclosure or the landlord needs the rent in order to uh, feed his or her own family, like th these, it's always, it can be a balancing act. And it's, the whole point of the executive order was to, to prevent the side effects of one emergency, but it didn't intend to create another emergency. So if another emergency has to be prevented by the lockout, then that may be a good reason to tell a judge, please, please remove this non-paying tenant. But if you don't have that circumstance, you're going to be sitting with a non-paying tenant for uh, a few months. It's probably at, at this point to the end of this month. So let's say that somebody was supposed to have vacated pursuant to an order on April 1st, and they didn't because of the executive order. Do they still owe rent for the time that they st stay there? They do. So they do. It's, so they do owe the rent. And as long if they're still there, they're st that rent is still accumulating. So even if there was no landlord-tenant relationship, you know, you can just go to court, file suit for the money owed, and then you'll get a money judgment. And you can enforce it however way you can, levy uh, bank accounts, garnish wages, et cetera. But the thing is, when you have a tenant, it's a landlord-tenant relationship. The other remedy, the other solution to that problem is an eviction. And now that solution is on pause. It's on hold for most people. So you can still go and seek a money judgment. It's just a matter of, is that going to enable you to re-rent your property? And, you know, it's a little bit of a silver lining for landlords. Yeah. So when the tenant actually vacates, do does the landlord then have another proceeding or another process that they have to do to actually collect the rent now that they're owed? Yeah, that, that exists even before COVID and the same thing now that COVID is ongoing and even after COVID, God willing, goes away. And they can file a separate lawsuit for um, the money that they are owed. So that's a, a money lawsuit. And that that's a very quick lawsuit, assuming the, the amount of money is pretty low as well. But then um, it's just a matter of a lot of landlords don't do that because a lot of the tenants are what we call in the industry judgment proof. So they typically don't have high wages. They typically don't have money in the bank. So filing a lawsuit, spending money on an attorney to get a piece of paper that says you are owed money. It may not be worth the paper it's printed on. You probably are worth just uh, writing off your losses and moving on. They might be better off just looking for new tenants. Yeah, they have to do that anyway. There's this concept called the duty to mitigate. So they have to look for a new tenant uh, to try to offset their losses, to minimize their losses. And whatever is left over is what they can seek from the tenant in a, in a money suit. So do you also represent commercial landlords? I do. So how does this apply to the commercial landlords? It does not apply to the commercial landlords. So uh, this commercial, the, the residential real estate uh, evictions have been, the, the moratorium in the executive order applies. For commercial, the same rationale does not apply. The, the same dynamics that exist uh, with residential tenants causing extreme homelessness, um, widespread homelessness, that's not what the governor uh, is trying to, that's what the governor is trying to solve and putting the same kind of uh, pause moratorium on commercial evictions is not going to solve that problem. And there's probably a political element too. I mean, most people in New Jersey are tenants and the governor wants votes. So, and that's how the, the laws in New Jersey, that's why they're very tenant friendly. Most voters in this state are, believe it or not, are tenants. So if there was a commercial landlord right now that 
their tenant isn't paying because maybe the, it's a business that's having financial problems. Is there sort of a rule of thumb that you're advising people to do? Just go ahead and file. I don't want you to give legal advice to everybody who may be watching because there could be other circumstances that you're not aware of. But generally, do you advise them to initiate an eviction proceeding? It's a business decision. I mean, you 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 may that business that's maybe it's closed because like barbershops, like nail salons, a lot of them are closed. And if they can't pay their rent and you evict, you now are in the same position you're in not getting rent. Now you don't have a tenant. So when, when the business is time for it to open up, if they're not there anymore. You now have to find a new tenant. You're going to have to refix the, the, the space for them. They're going to have to establish their business. You're going to usually with commercial leases, there's a couple months rent free. So it's a business decision, depending on the industry, depending on the location. Um, so it's it's not very black and white. It's, it's not. So they might question. actually they might actually be creating more problems for themselves. So it it might be prudent, uh, depending on the circumstances, just to try to negotiate something with the tenant. Right. Or I mean, even if you can't negotiate something, let's say you can't reach an agreement, you may not want to evict anyway. You may, as a landlord, you may bluff. An eviction or just you know uh, make some some kind of a show to try to show you're unhappy about not getting the rent but you may hopefully the principal your your internal upset being upset being angry will pass and you'll make a good business decision for yourself and for uh, for your for your business for your partners for whoever's invested in your operation so you think it's better to have rather than just have an empty space where you're not getting rent it could be better to have the space occupied where at least it looks like there's people doing business there, even though there might be a dispute about the rents. It depends on, so it depends on the the location. It depends on the vacancy rate already that already existed. I mean, if, if it was one place, if it was one, you, you may, if it's, you own a whole city block, for example, and it's one storefront you're having an issue with. And if that one storefront is, is vacant, uh, it may not look as good for the rest of the other businesses. There's collateral consequences to it all. Um, so it, it's, it's very fluid. It's, it's not a one size fits all kind of approach. So let's go back to the residential landlords for in a minute. So is, strategically, if they're not getting rent, would you recommend that they initiate something sooner rather than later? So typically the answer is yes. And the reason why is because at the end of the day, you can always dismiss the eviction case. So if everything is gone, you filed the eviction case, it's con it's concluded, you've won. If the tenant ends up making the rent payment after the eviction has been filed, you can always dismiss it. And the security deposit in a residential side is limited. You can only collect one and a half months rent. In a commercial side, it is not the same. So your your cash flow and your security, just in case you're not you're not compensated as a landlord, is is relatively limited. So it's easy. It's a very easy and streamlined process. We help a lot of people with it in a very uh, routine kind of assembly line kind of mechanical way, and it's it's something that we can help people with. And as long as the lease is structured and has the appropriate language in it, you can be compensated for your reasonable attorney fees anyway, and it can be characterized characterized excuse me as additional rent. So there's, there's, assuming the, the lease is drawn up appropriately, there's no downside to file.
So going back to the security deposit, that is something that comes up every once in a while, but I don't do this area, so I don't act exactly know the answers. I know that the landlord in a residential setting has to put the money in a designated account, right? Right. So now, can they use that? If the tenant isn't paying, they still have to keep that security deposit aside? They So in normal situations, you can't. You can't use the security deposit under uh, to pay whatever the tenant owes during the term of the lease. You cannot. You cannot. But there was an executive order, separate one, a new one, executive order 128 that came out in late April. And it basically, uh, the governor said that security deposit can be tapped into to pay for back rent, to pay for future rent, uh, and to prevent um, interest, to prevent late fees, whatever the case may be. I don't know how that's going to hold up in court, but um, it's it's something that the, a new executive order permitted. I think I did see something about that. It seems like it's it, it can cause, it can give a little bit of relief to the landlord temporarily, but then well, because at least they can use the money if they need, they need to put food on their tables too. But then they have the problem of, well, now they don't have the security deposit to cover what the tenant owes them or if there was damage to the property. So it seems like they'll just have new problems just putting them off later down the road. Is that right? I, I agree. I agree. And a lot of, a lot of landlords are even deeper than that are upset that they're, security, their interest, their incentive to enter into the lease has now been undercut. Um, so you're absolutely right. The, the foresight uh, that you have, a lot of landlords have as well. And uh, we'll see how this all plays out on a large scale um, after God willing, after COVID passes. Yes. And I want to ask you about the security deposit on the commercial in a commercial setting. There are no parameters or limitations on what the security deposit can be. Nothing. So a tenant and a landlord in a residential setting, there's a lot of tenant protection statutes. I mean, th even the eviction law in New Jersey, think about the name of it. It's called Anti-Eviction Act Against Eviction. Yeah. The Rent Security Deposit Act applies to residential tenancies. But, and that's to make tenants and residential landlords put them on a more equal playing field. On a commercial setting, the commercial tenants and commercial landlords, there's no presumption against or in favor of one party or the other. They're, they're considered more in equipose, more balanced with one another. So they're the same kind of protectionist laws that exist for uh, residential tenants do not exist for commercial tenants. Would you consider, and I think I know the answer, but would you consider New Jersey in, a, in the residential setting to be considered a tenant-friendly state? It is, a, it is a very tenant-friendly state, and um, it's there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think in New Jersey, I mean, if you look at the real estate prices, the real estate values in New Jersey, they're very high. The rent in New Jersey is very high. The, the holding costs in New Jersey, real estate taxes, are very high as well. So admittedly, a lot of this, there's a lot of benefits to investing in real estate in New Jersey, and a lot of investors do invest in real estate in New Jersey. But at the same time, you got to protect the masses and... Uh, the way that, that, that the legislature, the lawmakers have done that is with very tenant protectionist laws. So since I don't do this area and you see it all the time, is there anything that I haven't asked you that it would be good to just let our landlords out there know? I just want them to have at least some basic information for problems that you are seeing come up right now. 
Sure, sure. And, you know, and one of the most, probably the most important thing that you can do as a landlord is make sure that you have a good, appropriate lease. I cannot tell you how many times landlords come to me with a non-paying tenant or a non-complying tenant, and they should have language in their lease that gives them the solutions to their problems, but the language is not there. So then we have to look to the generic laws to give them a solution, but that solution is not as ideal as it would be. For example, I'll give an example, an eviction. An eviction costs money. You have to pay an attorney to file the eviction lawsuit. If in the, in the lease, if it does not call lawyer fees, court fees, if it does not call it additional rent, then you cannot get reimbursed that amount of money back to prevent the eviction. So all the tenant would have to do is pay the back rent, but your attorney fees are a sunk cost. If in the lease instead it said that attorney fees are additional rent, then you could include that as something you're evicting on. And the tenant would have to pay, in addition to the base rent, the additional rent to prevent the eviction. So the terms of your lease will make your life very, very easy, hopefully during a good tenancy and if the time comes during a bad one. Yeah, it's it's interesting because being a lawyer who practices divorce, we see similar things where people just want to cut corners. They don't want to spend money in legal fees. So they kind of just think, well, just do myself. It's not that hard. I'll download something that um, from the internet and everything will be fine. And that it maybe it will be fine. But I think we see as attorneys, we see so many cases where it's not fine. And unfortunately, you don't realize that until it's too late. And then you end up spending money on the legal fees to fix the problem, probably more than you would have spent if you had just hired somebody from the beginning to do it properly the first time. So when you see a lot of these problems, do you typically see leases that somebody downloaded off of the internet? Yes, yes, we do. We see leases from other states that include language that just doesn't apply. I mean, you know, we, we see things that have to do with like farms in Hudson County. There are no farms in Hudson County. It's, um, it, it's rampant. There are issues like that that come up very frequently. And, you know, you, you, yeah. don't, you don't pick your facts. You have to deal with what you have and, yeah. and work with so do it right. We're not just saying this because we're lawyers, <laughs> but it, spend the money to do it right from the beginning. And it really will. It'll save you money in the long run. I always tell people that. And, you know, some people listen and <laughs> some people I just see on the back end. So thank you so much for giving us your time today and sharing this information. I think this is valuable for a lot of people out there right now. And if anybody needs to consult with you, how can they reach you for your services? They can find me all over the internet. And my phone number is 908-864-7884. It's www.rajahsaada.com. R-A-J-E-H, S as in Sam, A-A-D as in David, E as in Edward, H.com. Thank you very much for hosting, Christina. It was fun. Of course. And I will put a link to your website in the comments. So if you didn't catch all of that, <laughs> Raj just said, you can look in the comments and you can find him there. Thank you again, Raj. Would love to have you on again one day. And maybe we could talk about one of your other practice areas. Be fun. Thank you very much, Christina. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Stay sane. Bye now. You too.